this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're continuing our series through the book of Romans. And we come this morning to Romans 12, verse 2. We looked last week at Romans 12, verse 1. And uh, these, these first two verses in Romans 12 are, are such uh, dense uh, verses, just loaded with, with uh, theology and application. So we're, we're taking just one verse at, at a time for these two verses, and we'll pick up the pace again after that. So Romans 12, verse 2 this morning. And before I read, I invite you to bow as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on his word. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We pray that we would have hearts that are ready and, and prepared and cultivated to receive your word. Lord, how good it is to gather in your house and to worship and to sing praises to your name. And to remember and to recall your deep and rich mercy, your amazing grace in saving us from our sin through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we now, O oh Lord, have hearts that receive your word for us as we learn together how to live in response to this mercy. Lord, may your word be planted deep in us that it may bear fruit of transformation for our good and for your glory. And may I be this morning, O Lord, a faithful servant and vessel to say nothing less and nothing more than what you'd have me to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Romans 12, verse 2. I am going to read, I know it's not uh, on the screens, but I'm going to read verse 1 as well, as well before I get to verse 2, just to give you the, the, the context of that. It really flows out of verse 1. So Paul had said in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then we get to verse 2, and verse 2 is really... Uh, sort of tells us, well, how do we... So verse 1 is all about living a life of sacrifice, that we are to live our lives and offer our whole selves as sacrifices to God. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice, as we looked at last week. Now, in verse 2, Paul tells us, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? And, and, and so that's what, he, that's what he tells us in verse 2. These commands flow out of that call to sacrificial living. This is how we live as sacrifices. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You may be seated. In uh, November of 1956, Martin Luther King delivered a sermon, and the title of that sermon was Transformed Nonconformist, Transformed Nonconformist, and he said in that sermon, among other things, he said, the Christian is called not to be like a thermometer conforming to the temperature of society, 
but to be like a thermostat transforming the temperature of society. I think that's a, a, a brilliant statement. Let me just say it again. The Christian is called not to be like a thermometer conforming to the temperature of society, but to be like a thermostat transforming the temperature of society. That is a helpful image that gets to the heart of what Paul is saying in our text this morning. He is calling us as believers to be transformed nonconformists. Now, the structure of Romans 12, verse 2 is, is very simple. Uh, Paul gives us two commands, followed by the result of living out those two commands. So we have two commands and one result as we uh, consider our call to be transformed nonconformists. So we'll just walk through those pieces of the text of this verse together this morning. The first command is a command not to conform. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And the word world literally means age. Uh, when Paul says not to conform to the pattern of this world, he's saying not to conform to the, the pattern of this present age. Uh, Paul used the same word in Galatians 1 verse 4, where he said that Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil ion age. It's the same word. So this world or this age is the present sin-dominated realm in which all people live as a result of the fall. It is the age in which Satan is holding many people under the, under the spell of his deceptions and lies. And as Paul said to the Corinthians, the God of this age, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So when Paul speaks of this world or this age, he's speaking of the, the evil values and systems and ideologies that characterize the present society under the, the influence and the sway of Satan. And this stands really in sharp contrast to what Scripture refers to as the age to come, uh, when Christ will return and, and Satan's defeat will be fully realized and, and all of his delusions and deceptions will be vanquished and the curse of sin obliterated. That is what we can look forward to in the age to come. But until that time, we who belong to Christ must contend with the darkness of this evil age. That's what Paul is talking about by uh, this world in Romans 12 verse 2. And Paul's command uh, for us as believers is do not con conform to the pattern of this age. And, and the word conform means to, to shape one's behavior or to be fashioned according to a pattern or a mold. Uh, the image that, that comes to mind, and it would be similar in, in Paul's day, but the image that, that comes to my, to my mind is the image of, of molding. You know how that works? You have a mold that is a certain shape. In this case, it's in the shape of a, of a uh, uh, crayfish, which is a, so it's a, a plastic crayfish, a lure that you use for fishing. I've used these a lot. You can catch a lot of bass with these plastic crayfish and plastic worms. So you have this, this shape of a, of a crayfish, and then you, you, you put a, a substance like plastic into the mold. You, you squeeze it in, and, then you, and you press it so that the, it, it takes on the shape of the mold. And that's the idea that Paul is presenting here in our text. This present age, under the influence of Satan, has taken on a certain shape. It is a godless shape. 
It is characterized by godless values and a godless way of thinking and a godless view of the world because people are blinded to the glory of Christ. And people who are blinded to the glory of Christ are going to have a utterly and completely different way of seeing things and thinking about things and viewing things than the kingdom of God. And Paul is saying that there is great pressure for people to be squeezed into this mold of the world, to take on the shape of this godless way of thinking and living. And so when Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this age, he is commanding us as believers not to be influenced and shaped by the evil in the world. That, that's, that's what Paul is saying, and it is a command. He's telling us not to value what unbelievers value and not to think like unbelievers think and not to do as unbelievers do. And this is what it means to be a sacrifice that is holy to God, as Paul said in verse 1, which we looked at last week. It means to be set apart, to be distinct, to be uh, refusing to take on the shape of the world's mold. And this has really always been God's intent that that his people be a set-apart people, a people who refuse to be influenced by the evil around them. That from the moment that, that sin entered the world, that this was God's design for his people. It goes way back to the days of Moses. God said to his people, uh, after he brought them out of Egypt, he said, through Moses, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. In other words, do not conform to the shape of the evil around you. And now God is saying the same thing through Paul to believers. As God's new covenant people, we must not conform to the pattern of this world. And as I think about these words of Paul, I can hardly think of a more relevant command for believers today. There are, there are so many ways in which this command of Paul presses into our lives as Christians and as Christian churches. The world, I'll just give you a few examples that I think are among the more pressing issues and the more pressing ways that the, we as Christians and churches are tempted to conform to the, to the evil way of thinking in the world. So the world is casting a mold of distorted and sinful sexuality. And Paul's command compels us to stand against the mold and to stand firm in the clear teaching of Scripture. The world is casting a mold that says that that gender is a matter of choice. And Paul's command compels us to uphold and defend what we read in the account of creation. That, that God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And so it compels us to hold fast to the truth that, that gender is a matter of divine decree and, and not, not human manipulation. The world is casting a mold that says our satisfaction lies in material possessions. And Paul's command compels us to resist the allure of worldly things and to find our true satisfaction in Christ alone and to live as if everything truly is garbage, every worldly thing garbage in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. These are just some of the many ways that I think our, our, our culture is, is pressing in around us and ways that, that so many Christians and churches are wrestling with. Will we conform to the, the way of thinking of the world or, or will we stand firm in biblical truth? It is a huge issue in, in even in evangelical Christianity right now. 
And so this command of Paul is bursting with relevance. Paul is saying, don't get squeezed into the world's mold. Don't buy what the world is selling. Don't acquiesce to the, to the prevailing spirit of the age. And it really touches all aspects of our lives. It calls us to be discerning in the realm of politics and, and education and entertainment and, and legislation. Don't just go along with what the media says. Don't just march like mindless automatons to the beat of the world's drum. Walk by the light of what Scripture says. And evaluate everything, everything that, 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 is, that, that is constantly, the, the, this barrage of messages that are coming at us all the time. Evaluate them according to the revealed truth of God. As one preacher put it, we are to be like someone rowing a boat to the wavy waters of the world. Letting the light of Christ shine through us wherever we go, but, but not allowing the water of the world into the boat. What a, what a helpful image, I think, for us as we try to navigate the, the, the waters of our current uh, cultural, social climate today. We live a life of sacrifice to God by not conforming to the pattern of this world. That, that is one of the most pressing questions for us as Christians and churches today. Will we conform to the ways, the, the evil ways in the world around us, or will we stand firm in biblical truth? But that's really only half of the equation. There is a, a positive counterpart to Paul's command not to conform, and that brings us to Paul's second command, which is to be transformed. So Paul says, do not uh, conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word transformed is a translation of the Greek metamorpho, uh, which uh, is uh, from, where we, from which we get the English word metamorphosis. It's a, a word that's not used, I think it's used only three times in the New Testament. Um, but at the heart of the word is the idea of, of change, just, just like, you know, a, a caterpillar transforming, changing from a caterpillar into a butterfly, this, this radical change. This, the same word is used in the Gospels to describe the, the radical change that, that came over Jesus at his transfiguration. What Paul is commanding here is a radical change away from the ways of the world and into the image of Christ. That, that we are to be changed into the image of Christ is, is clear from 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, which is the other use of, of, of the verb in the New Testament where Paul says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into metamorphosed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Transformed into his image. And so the Christian life, the life of sacrifice, is to be a life of ongoing and ever-increasing change. We become less and less like the evil in the world and, and, and are changed more and more into the image of Christ. It reminds me of a story I heard uh, years ago about a sculptor who, who, who was carving the image of an evil into a, into a big block of wood. You've maybe seen these, uh, you know, uh, these 
wood sculptures and things like that. And so there was this big block of wood, and this, this sculptor was carving an eagle into the block of wood, and he had a whole bunch of spectators around him watching him as he did his work, and, and, uh, and just with sort of wonder and amazement as he's just, you know, chiseling and, and, and doing the wood, and it's looking and turning into this beautiful image of an eagle. And one of the, skept- the spectators asked him and said, you know, how were you able to do that? This is amazing. How, how are you able to take this plain old hunk of wood and, and, and to make it look like this beautiful image of an eagle? How can you do that? And the sculptor said, well, it's really, it's really pretty simple. I, I just chip away everything that doesn't look like an eagle. And, and that's really, if you think about it, that, that's what our transformation is like. That, that it's the Holy Spirit chiseling and pounding and, and, and chipping away everything that doesn't look like Christ. And Paul says this transformation takes place by the renewing of our minds. Now, the mention, this, this mention of the mind is, is important. It, it, it means that, that how we think about things matters. How we think about things matters. If, if we agree with what the world says, even if we don't do what they're doing, but if, if we agree with what, what they're saying, if, if our thinking is shaped by the world's view of things, then, then we are going to value what the world values and celebrate what the world celebrates and hate what the world hates and, and eventually behave as the world behaves. And so don't buy into the, the thing that, well, I, I'm, you know, it's okay to sort of to think, to agree with what they're saying, as long as they don't do it. No, Paul says our thinking matters. Everything begins with, with the way we think. It's only when our thinking is changed, when, when we see things differently, that when, when our minds are governed by the Spirit and not by the flesh, that we will be compelled to live in non-conforming ways. Our transformation into the image of Christ only happens through right thinking. Which is why Paul said to the Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The Christian life is a life of redeemed thinking. When we come to Christ, our, our minds are reprogrammed. Apart from Christ, we, we think as the world thinks. And, and, and that way of thinking is, again, under the influence and sway of Satan. When we come to Christ, our minds are reprogrammed in accordance with our newness of life in the Holy Spirit. And so our whole thought life is changed. And it continues to change, resembling more and more the way God wants us to think. We, we, we see this this change in, in thinking in the broader context of the book of Romans. If you remember way back in Romans 1, we were there a long time ago, but way back in Romans 1, Paul described the unbelievers of the world, the, the godless and the wicked. And he described them in terms of their thinking. Do, do you remember that? He, Paul said in Romans 1 verse 21, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And again, in verse 28, he said, Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. But now in Romans 12, there is a great reversal to, uh, to this, uh, from this, this empty way of thinking. The depraved mind of Romans 1 has given way to a renewed mind in Romans 12. The futile thinking of Romans 1 has given way to to fruitful thinking in Romans 12. And the, the reason for the change is God's work of redemption in Jesus Christ. Everything that Paul has been laying out for all these 11 chapters. 
the redeemed are not only brought from death to life, but from depraved minds to minds that are being renewed. And as we know, this renewal of the mind takes place through you know, all the things that we, we, you know, we know what the Christian disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, the Christian life is like. The, the renewal of the mind takes place through the reading of Scripture and through Christian fellowship and, and prayer and, and worship. It's when we fill our minds with these things that, 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 that they are shaped more and more after the mind of Christ. And so what this means for us is that we ought to consider carefully what we are allowing into our minds. We ought to be discerning about what we read and what we watch, the music we listen to, the company we keep, and the places we go. And we ought to consider not only the the, the quality of, of the things that we take into our minds, but also the, the quantity of those things that, that shape our minds. So, for example, how much time do we really spend watching TV or playing video games or, or surfing through social media? And how much time do we really spend in the Word and in worship and in God-honoring activities and conversations? Because if our time spent in in edifying things is dwarfed by our time spent in those things that don't edify, then we can't ever expect to be transformed. We live a life of sacrifice to God by being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That brings us then to the final piece of our text this morning. So Paul has commanded us not to conform to the prevailing pattern and spirit of the age, and he has commanded us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and now Paul goes on to tell us what the result will be of living out these commands. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now that expression, uh, to test and approve, is a translation of a single word in Greek, the Greek word dakamazo. And I think the simplest and the most accurate explanation of what Paul means uh, by the word in this context, so I spent a bit of time studying this, and I'll, I'll just leave behind all of the, the, the technical details and give you the condensed su- summary of what I think Paul is saying in the context through this word. I think he's talking about that spiritual discernment that ascertains what God wants us to do with a view of putting it into practice. It's both of those elements, which is why the NIV uses two words to, to translate it. it it's, both, it's both that discernment, but also that resolve to put it into practice. So not only discerning what God wants, how God wants us to live, it's a, it's a moral direction sort of a, a word, but, but also it goes beyond that and conveying the, de, the determination to then do what God wants. Uh, I'll give you a little... Illustration, hopefully that is helpful. Sometimes when we take our dog Ruby for a walk uh, up in the uh, state park at High Cliff, we, we uh, will let her off her leash and let her run on the trail in front of us. And, and if we see somebody coming or if there's a horse, if we're on the horse trail or if there's other dogs or something on the trail ahead, we will call her to come back. And almost always when we call her, she will stop and, and then before coming back immediately, she will look, to, look ahead to see what she might be missing. 
I mean, what is it that we don't want her to encounter? Why, you know, why are we calling her back? And, and it, you know, she's, a, she's almost a perfect dog. This is one thing that drives us crazy because it's so annoying. It's like she's weighing whether or not it would be worth it to disobey. There's just that brief moment where she knows what we want her to do, but she has not fully resolved in her mind to do it. Now, to her credit, almost always she, she decides to come back. But there's that, just that little moment of resting. Oh, you know, is there something better ahead that is, is going to be worth disobeying? Well, well Paul is saying that, that through the renewal of our minds, we, we have a combination of both of these things. We, we know what God wants, and we have the resolve to put it into practice. So through the renewal of our minds, we're able to know and to live out in increasing measure what God wants of us, which is an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, this is one of those areas, you know, where, where so often we are wanting to know the will of God. And, and, and that is a broad, I think it's a, a broad concept that, that touches all different aspects of lives. And I think the, 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 Paul's use of the word here covers all of those things. To know and to discover the will. What does God want for my life? What does God want in this situation? Paul says we're able to know and to put into practice what God wants when we are not conforming to the pattern of this world and being transformed through the renewal of our minds. We're able to know and to put into practice how he wants us to behave in our marriages and how he wants us to treat our kids how we are to respond to the social issues of the day. What he wants us to do with our, our money and, and our bodies and our time. What we would want us to read or to watch. The goals that we should pursue, the kingdom work that we should do, the, and the relationships we should invest in, and, and, and a million other things. Through the renewal of our minds, we're able to test and approve to discern and have a resolve to put into practice what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So to summarize this, this short verse, Paul calls believers to be, in the words of Martin Luther King, transformed nonconformists, that, that we may discern and put into practice what God wants of us. That's the, the verse in, in one sentence. In 390 AD, a monk named uh, Telemachus arrived in Rome. And, and he felt called by God to, to take a stand against all of the, the wickedness and the evil in the city of Rome at that time. He had heard, he was very, very familiar with, with all of the evils that routinely were taking place in the Colosseum. And he had he knew very well about all about gladiators fighting to the death in the arena, and he couldn't understand why it was that all the Christians around him were just standing idly by and not doing anything to change this evil practice of society. They found ways to justify this custom of watching men slaughter each other in an arena for entertainment. They just found ways to sort of brush it aside because they, they, they weren't willing or didn't have the courage to stand up, to stand up for what was right. But Telemachus refused to conform to the pattern of the world. He refused to acquiesce to the prevailing spirit of the age. I mean, if you think about that, that, that was, I mean, think how hard it was and, and, uh, you know, for the Christians in, at that time just to kind of go along, or how easy it was just to go along with, well, this is kind of the way the world is, and we kind of need to, we just need to adapt and change, and, and you know, things, you know, just, we need to be flexible, and, 
I mean, that's, that's been the temptation for Christians all along. And Telemachus refused to be like everyone else, refused to acquiesce to the prevailing spirit of the age. And so one day, Telemachus went to the games at the Colosseum, and as the crowd watched two gladiators fighting to their death, Telemachus leapt from the stands in the arena down, or leapt from the stands down into the arena, and he ran up to the two men and he implored them to stop. But the crowd was so upset by the interruption that they all began to grab stones from the crumbling Colosseum, and they and they stoned Telemachus to death. And his death is a testimony to the high cost of discipleship. It is a costly thing to stand up against the prevailing spirit of the age. It is. It's going to be it's a costly thing for us to do that today. It is a costly thing to be a transformed nonconformist, not conforming to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is going to cost us to do that. And yet, the cost of our discipleship, the cost of our being uh, transformed, nonconformist, pales in comparison to the cost that Christ paid at the cross, which is why Paul will again and again and again direct us back to the cross, to the mercy that's displayed at the cross. So let us behold the wonder of what God has done for us at the cross, that we may respond to his mercy with lives that are not conforming, but transforming to his glory. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer, as we prepare for communion this morning, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would lead us again to the cross. Lord, help us to gaze with renewed wonder at your mercy poured out for us at the cross. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we ponder and consider your rich mercy that, that gave so much, more than we could ever possibly imagine for the sake of hell-deserving sinners, O oh Lord, may we consider what we might give in response to your mercy. Oh Lord, search our hearts and show us those ways in which we are, in which we are uh, conforming to the patterns of this world or ways in which we are not doing anything to not conform to the patterns of this world. And show us ways, oh Lord, in which we are not being transformed as we ought through the renewal of our minds. Lord, hear our silent prayers as we Prepare for communion this morning.
Well, Lord, when we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, our richest gain we count but loss and poor contempt on all our pride. And were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. For love so amazing and so divine demands our soul, our life, and our all. Oh, Lord, make it our chiefest joy to study you, to meditate on you, to gaze on you, to sit like Mary at your feet, to lean like John at your side, to appeal like Peter to your love, to count like Paul, all things garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. Oh, Lord, move us to be not conforming to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. Make us more and more into the image of Christ for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.